The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. I'm preaching in a church on the Sunday before the 4th of July, I usually give my 4th of July prophecy. I wasn't here last Sunday to give it to you. It's a little outdated now, but I'm going to give it to you. I like it. He who goes forth with a fifth on the 4th may not come forth on the 5th. It's good to see you here on the 6th. It's good to be with you. Good to see Mike and Mary Shaw. I know of your love for them, their love for you. Such a wonderful reputation in this state, so much beloved. And uh, I commend you and Mike on his long, long tenure here. Was it 35 years? 35 years, not many pastors can survive 35 years. Not many churches a pastor would want to stay at 35 years. So it's both a commendation to you, Mike, and to this church. Now, uh, when Don introduced me, it was not mentioned, and rightly so, didn't need to be mentioned, that uh, one of the things I do in my work with the State uh, Board of Missions is I work with churches that are looking for pastors, and I work on the other side of it too. I work with pastors that are looking, or ministers who are looking for places to serve, and it was my privilege to come several months ago and meet with your pastor search team. And uh, uh, you've not been a church in this transition in 35 years. This is a new experience for you. So I'm going to preach a mini-sermon about the church in transition, the church in the interim time, and then I'm going to preach my regular sermon. You're going to get one and a fourth this morning. Uh, There are three things I would say to a church during the interim time. Be prayerful. Now, you have been. You are. But I underscore it and put a few exclamation points out there at the end. Be prayerful. Prayer is the way God gets his will done in us. Right? Whose will needs to be done here? God's will. And so the way we discern and do God's will is when we, God's people, faithfully, fervently present ourselves before him in submissive, surrendered prayer. Not our will, thy will be done. Pray every day. And if you forget to pray one day, shamey, 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 pray three times the next day. Catch up. Pray every day. Put yourself a prayer reminder somewhere to remind you to pray for your church, 
pray for the pastor search team, to pray for that prospective or that person who's going to become your pastor at some point. And uh, so be prayerful. Be faithful. Now, it won't happen here, but in some of our churches during an interim time, there's a little bit of a tilt. And some, uh, some churches can slip a little bit in attendance. Don't let it happen. Be doubly faithful. Be faithful in attendance. Be faithful in giving. Be faithful in service. Be faithful. Now, the first B was be prayerful. The second one is be faithful. And the third is be patient. Now, we're Baptists. We're not Methodist. And when a, in the Methodist church, the bishop, the bishop just sends you another one. But we're Baptists, which means we form a pastor search team and we go through this process, a challenging process of discerning the person the Lord has equipped and prepared to come here. And it typically does not happen overnight. It typically takes a period of time. Now at a risk of hearing some moans, I'm going to tell you that it typically takes nine months. That's the average. The larger the church, the more time it takes. The, the longer the former pastor had been there, the more time it takes. And so it just takes a while. Now I think it's a parable that it typically takes nine months. What else takes nine months? Full-formed, full-term baby. Can you imagine an expectant mother saying, not going to take me nine months? <laughs> Can you? No, no, no. You want a full-term baby. And what's the time frame here? God's time. You don't want it to happen one day before God's time. In the fulfillment of God's time. That's when it will happen. And that's when it ought to happen. So be patient. Okay. The three. Be prayerful. Be faithful. And be patient. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts 13. I'm sorry I didn't get my scripture text in time. For you to see it in the order of worship. And already have looked it up. Acts 13, I'll read verses 1, 2, and 3. And I have been told that it is the pattern, the custom here, that when the scripture is read, that the congregation is asked to stand. So if you would stand, please, for the reading of the scripture. I'm going to give you another minute. I see some still kind of flipping pages. That's wonderful. Do so. Acts 13, verses 1, 2, Three. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas. Oh, you know Barnabas, that great heart Barnabas. Barnabas wasn't his real name. His real name was Joseph. His nickname was Barnabas. You know what his nickname means. It means the encourager. How, do you, how in the world do you think he got such a nickname? Well, he went around so commonly commending folks, complimenting folks, patting folks on the back, applauding folks, affirming folks. He did it so commonly, so constantly. They eventually nicknamed him, here comes the encourager. 
Could you gain, earn a nickname like that, the encourager? Barnabas was in that church, and Simeon, that was called Niger, from, uh, there's a country in Africa today called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene, another African, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, an aristocrat, a blue blood born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was in that church. And Saul, oh, we call him Paul. You know Saul, the peak performer, the apostle extraordinaire, the Hebrew, the Hebrews, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. Paul was in that church. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, it means they commissioned them. And it says they sent them away. They sent them away as the first foreign missionaries. And may the Lord bless the reading and the hearing, the hearing and the heeding of his word. You may be seated. Thank you. We talk about model homes, model cities. Is there a model church? Is there a church anywhere that you would point to and say, now that's the church, definite article. That's the church. Every church should be like that church. That's the church. Is there a model church, a measure, a measure, the standard for all churches everywhere to pattern itself after? Is there a model church? And in your thinking, you may think, well, it, it should be a New Testament church. And I agree with that. It should be a New Testament church. But which one? There were several of them. And I'm not sure each and every one qualifies to be the model. What about the church at Corinth? That's a New Testament church. Would you say that's the model church? Do you head this way? No, no, that would never be the model church. It was the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, greatly gifted, but it was a carnal church. It was a carnival church, the church at Corinth, a New Testament church, but it wouldn't be the model church. What about the mother church? What about the church at Jerusalem? Would that be your nominee? Would that be your candidate? Oh, I see one head going, no, I agree. Here's a reason. You have to stop and hesitate before you nominate the mother church, the church at Jerusalem. If you remember, after Paul's conversion, Paul came back after he had spent some time being discipled. He came back to Jerusalem and he went to join the church. You follow Jesus, you'll end up in his church. And he went to join the church. And if you remember, the leaders of the church said, we don't want you in this church. You're a church destroyer. And Paul gave his testimony. Paul said, oh, I'm not the same person I was who left here. I had this conversion experience. And the leaders of the church listened with cynical, screwed up faces. They didn't believe him. They were hesitant to receive the apostle Paul. Thankfully, Barnabas was in that group. He was one of the church leaders in Barnabas, the great heart Barnabas. Barnabas, the one who looked for things he could support and commend and sponsor. Barnabas said, Paul, I hear in your testimony the ring of truth, and I, I will sponsor you for membership in the church. But the church at Jerusalem was hesitant to receive the apostle Paul. 
What's, what's your nominee? Well, you can guess which one I'm going to nominate because I read it in the scripture text. I'm going to nominate the church at Antioch. I'm going to give you four reasons. If you remember the reasons at the end of the sermon, I'm going to give you a test. If you remember the reasons, I'll extend the invitation. If you don't, I'll go back to the first and start over again. For four reasons, I'm going to say the church at Antioch is my nominee for the model church. The church was inaugurated in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, but it wouldn't stay in that, in that Jerusalem cradle. It crawled out, and it went beyond Jerusalem. Some went up to Antioch. Talks about it in Acts 11. Talks about following the persecution of Stephen. Some Christians went underground. Some went overland up to Antioch. And it says in Acts 11 that up there they preached and people believed. And as far as we can tell, those people who went up to Antioch and did the preaching and did the witnessing were lay ministers. Not Reverend Doctor somebody, but Mr. and Mrs. somebody. So the first thing I'll mention about a quality of the church at Antioch that makes it the model church, they had a high concept of lay ministry. They knew how effective lay people could be in ministry. Called by salvation, ordained by baptism, seminaried by the Holy Spirit. So from their very founding, their very beginning, they knew, oh, lay people can be so effective in ministry. We've known, we've known for centuries that the healthiest and most dynamic and most effective churches are those that have a mobilized laity. They realize, every member realizes that when Jesus Christ came into his or her life, the Lord brought two gifts, one for you, his amazing saving grace, and the other gift is not for you, it's a gift for you to give his church. It's a gift for you to give his church in his name. It's a gift for you to make his church strong and healthy and, and effective in its ministry. You have been gifted for ministry. The churches that realize that and promote that and the folks who catch that and carry it out, those are the healthiest churches we've got in the whole wide world. I was in a church preaching supply sermon like uh, today. And I opened their order of worship and there it had listed with their staff. It said one pastor and gave his name. And then it said 325 ministers. What in the world does that mean? It means that every member is a minister. I want you to turn and shake hands with the person sitting next to you. There's no gimmick in this. Just shake hands. Yeah, good. Thank you. You just shook hands with your minister. Now you may say, that was my, that was my wife. She's known for years she's been your minister. <laughs> You just met your minister. We are to minister one to another. We together are to minister to this whole wide world in Jesus' name. 
And the church at Antioch had a high concept of lay ministry. They knew how effective and important lay people can be are in the work of the Lord's church. Reason number two. Now the first one is the high concept of lay ministry. Reason number two is they had a heart of caring. There was a famine in the land down near Jerusalem and the and the Christians up at Antioch took up an offering to send down to Jerusalem, sent it by Paul and Barnabas to go down there and, and, and take the money so that their fellow Christians down there who were hungry had enough money to buy bread. That heart of caring. There's a great Christian writer. We sadly don't remember her name nowadays, but her name is Evelyn Underhill. She was one time going through a dry spiritual time in her life. Uh, it happens. It's happened to me. Probably happened to you. She just didn't feel the streams of blessing and joy flowing like she had at other times. And she was trying to prime, prime the pump so that the streams of water, blessed water, would flow again. And she was doing various things and she was uh, communicating with her spiritual coach. He wrote back to her when she wrote him about the barrenness, some of the dryness of her soul. He said, Evelyn, I'm not going to suggest you join another prayer group, nor Bible study group, as good as those are. He said, Evelyn, I think what you need to do to, to get the stream flowing again, he said, I think you need to find a human hurt. And minister to it in Jesus' name. He said, I think that's what will start the streams flowing again. I think that's real, real good advice, don't you? I know as pastor, sometimes I'd be a little down, a little despondent. I'd go to the hospital, and I'd come out singing zippity-doo-dah. Why? Because I got myself off my hands and off my mind and I focused on somebody else and I tried to be encouraging and helpful to somebody else and pray for somebody else and I walked out feeling wonderful because I'd given myself away the forgotten, the forgotten equipment of the Christian church is a cup of cold water and a basin and a towel ministering to people in Jesus' name so pleased to hear what y'all did this last week, Don, with all the ministries all over this area. And the fruit being the 90-something persons making professions of faith. And I bet, I bet the ones blessed the most, as exhausted as people were, I bet the ones blessed the most were the ones who were involved and were focusing on somebody else and doing something for somebody else. That's just the way the Lord works in our lives. They say that the young generation's disillusioned with the church. Not with Jesus, but with his church. And here's the reason they give. They think the church is too inward. And they say the church is too selfish. Oh, that was never, ever intended the way for church to be. The church is to give itself away the first, the first schools in this nation were started by the church. 
The first hospitals were established by the church. The first orphanages were started by the church. The church is to give itself away, care about hurting people, ministering to people in Jesus' name. And the church at Antioch had a heart of caring. Third, they had a loving fellowship. Now, I read about that fellowship in verse 1 of the Scripture text. They had a loving fellowship, very, very, very diverse. They were a buffet of backgrounds. They were a collage of cultures. They were a painter's palette of people. But they were together in the church. How in this world did they ever get together being so different Oh, I can answer that one. The answer to that one is, oh, they got together because each one was following Jesus and just ended up in the same place. The bigger question is, how in this world, once they got together, being so diverse, so different, how in this world did they stay together? Now, that's a real deep spiritual question and answer. There is an amazing grace glue that binds our hearts together. Paul, isn't there a song that goes, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. That's how they stay together. It's different. Oh, look at the diversity that's right here. Yet we're in the same place. What is, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ prompted by the Holy Spirit. You are here by the work of the Holy Spirit. We are together in this one place and we do things together because of this amazing grace. Glue, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. You and I are blood kin. Now most of you have never seen me before and I haven't seen you before today, but we're blood kin not by the blood that flows in these veins, but by the blood that flowed from the head and the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. By that blood, by His blood, you and I are blood kin, kinfolk. One day Jesus was approached and asked, what's the most important of all the commandments? Matthew 22. 37 through 40. They were trying to trick him because they had several hundred laws, and, and which is the most important law. They had several hundred laws. And they debated which one is the primary one, the most important. And so they were kind of putting him on the spot. You know the answer. You know what he said. He said, the most important law is, he quoted the Old Testament, love God with all your being. They chose the term love, not learn. Learning is important. But he didn't say learn. He said love. He didn't say tithing. Tithing is important. He didn't say tithing. He said love God. That's a relational term. Love God with all your being. And then he said, and it's got a caboose attached to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Well the word neighbor is an old English word that just means the one nearby you. 
So right now it's the person nearby you in the pew. In a little while it'll be someone nearby you somewhere else. And tomorrow it'll be someone nearby you somewhere else. It's a, it's, neighboring is movable. It transitions. And everywhere you go, the one nearby you, the clerk at a store. Uh, Everywhere you go, the one nearby you is your neighbor. And you are to love that one nearby you. It doesn't mean just the person who lives next door in the house next door to you. It means the one nearby you. And that moves and changes. You and I are to love the one nearby. We call the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven. But probably the real Lord's Prayer is John 17, 21, where Jesus prayed, Father, may the people be one as you and I are one. That's the Lord's Prayer. Well, that's, uh, that's reason number three. I'm going to give you a little review because I want you to pass the test. Because I've been given a time when this service has to be over. And uh, so I want you to pass the test. Let's see. Uh, Number one was high concept of lay ministry. Number two, heart of caring. The one I just finished, number three, loving fellowship. Okay, there's one more. They were mission-minded. I read it in the scripture text. They were the ones to first send out foreign missionaries. They sent out the first foreign missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. You see, Paul had always felt that he wanted to go preach the gospel everywhere. He said, I want to go to Spain, preach the gospel to Spain. You know why he said Spain? Because in his geography, that was as far as he could go. That was the jumping off place. There wasn't anything beyond. He didn't know about Christopher Columbus. He said, I want to go to Spain as far as I can go and preach the gospel. (coughs) So the church sent him out. He went out to the outermost, the uttermost. Consider how unselfish that was. How would you like to have Paul and Barnabas in your church? How would you like to be in a Sunday school class taught by Paul? How'd you like to have Barnabas as part of your pastoral care ministry? See how unselfish it was for that church to give up those two great spiritual leaders. They sent them away so that other persons might know about the Lord Jesus whom they had come to know and to love and to follow. Being on mission for Christ is not a matter of location You don't have to go to Central America to be a missionary. It's not a matter of location. It's a matter of lordship. If Jesus is Lord, you are on mission for Christ wherever you step, wherever you stand. Leo Edelman put it this way. He was great missionary statesman Leo Edelman said uh, every pocket of sin is a mission field and the closest Christian to it is a missionary 
In other words, you don't have to go 2,000, 10,000 miles away. Just you're a missionary for Christ wherever your foot falls. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Some many years ago, great Christian thinker, great Christian thinker said this, said the church exists by missions as a fire exists by burning. Now when I first read that, I thought, what's that mean? And I thought a few minutes and then I said, "I, I think I know what he's saying. A church exists by missions as a fire exists by burning. If there's no burning, there's no fire. If there's no missions, there's no church. Maybe a club, maybe a congregation, maybe a group, an organization, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is distinguished by its mission mindedness. It is on mission for Christ. A church exists by missions as a fire exists by burning. Now, lock the doors. Test time. You got those four? Well, I hope so. I'm going to give you a test. If you don't have them, I can go back to the top and I'll start preaching over again. And I just look at my watch. I've got plenty of preaching time left. But uh, you get those four and I'll, get, I'll extend the invitation. Uh, number one. High concept of lay ministry. Number two. Heart of caring. Number three. Number four. Mission-mindedness, that's my nominee for the model church, the church at Antioch. Is it any wonder that the first time the followers of Jesus were called Christians, which means little Christ, the first time the followers of Jesus were called Christians was at the church at Antioch. If you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today's the day, and now is the time. I invite you to turn from your sinful self to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and say, come into my life, Lord Jesus. I receive you as my Savior. I turn from my sinful self to you, the Savior. And when you invite him in, he comes in. How do I know? Because he wants to come in. When you invite him in, he wants to come in and be your Savior, and he comes in. Most of us here probably have already made that decision. There's some who haven't. That's the decision you need to make today. Most of us have made that kind of decision earlier, but there are other kinds of decisions to be made, decisions of greater lordship of Christ in our lives, deeper commitment, rededication, re-upping. Maybe something new has happened in your life in the last little while. Maybe a new job. Maybe a new, a new child, a new grandchild. And you realize, I want to put all of that under Jesus' Lordship. I want Him to be Lord of all. And that's the, 
upper dedication, re-upping your dedication to him that you need to make this morning. Let him be Lord of all of you. Then the decision to come into the life of the Lord's church. Have no question in saying this, the Lord wants every one of his children as a part of a faith family, active, involved in the faith family, the community of those committed to Christ. So you are invited to come into the life of this, the Lord's church. We have our hymn of invitation. Ministers are coming to receive you. Won't you stand coming, please? Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.